2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend producing, David King engineering. In Portland, Pedro Bartes producing and engineering in Seattle. Today, we're looking forward to a conversation with Robert Peters. He's a research fellow for nuclear deterrence and missile defense and the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for National Security. He also served in the Defense Department for nearly 20 years. We're going to talk about the Defense Department's China Military Power Report and the fact that the threat is um, worse than advertised. He'll be joining us in the second hour of today's program. First, we'll take a look at some of the, uh, the headlines. The Biden administration confirmed that the Islamic resistance in Iraq, an umbrella organization consisting of multiple Iran-backed militia groups, uh, is the group that conducted an attack in Jordan that killed three U.S. soldiers and injured at least 40 troops. The White House has signaled plans for a a multi-tiered response to the deadly drone attack in Jordan's Tower 22, according to the Associated Press. However, we haven't yet heard the details. On Monday, the Pentagon said the attack bore the fingerprints of Khatab Hezbollah, one of two major groups behind the attacks and a member of the Islamic resistance, but that U.S. Central Command was still assessing the incident. Well, National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby on Wednesday confirmed that the Islamic resistance planned, facilitated and supplied the equipment for Sunday's deadly attack. The president believes that it is important to respond in an appropriate way, in quotes, I would put them in quotes, he said. While the president continues to weigh options, the first thing you see uh, won't be the last thing, Kirby added. Not sure what that means, but it's a direct quote. The Islamic resistance, in a statement, claimed initial responsibility for the attack, according to the New York Times. And since the uptick, uptick rather, in attempted strikes on bases hosting U.S. personnel in Iraq and Syria began on the 17th of October, this was the first strike that resulted in fatalities among U.S. troops. Uh, there have been serious injuries, this the first fatalities, however. On Tuesday, as rumblings of a sweeping U.S. response grew, Kataeb Hezbollah said it would suspend military and security activities aimed at U.S. troops, according to Reuters. The administration quickly dismissed that claim, saying actions speak louder than words. Pentagon Press Secretary Major General Pat Ryder said uh, they're not the only group that has been attacking us. The administration has said it holds Iran accountable for the attacks on U.S. troops, although Iran has denied any association with the attack, they've only provided all the munitions, and my guess is they wouldn't uh, do anything without Iran's uh, knowledge and approval. Tehran funds the groups, provides it with weapons and training. Officials insist the U.S. doesn't want a war with Iran, but will take the necessary steps to protect U.S. forces, at least at some point, but not so far. Tehran on Wednesday threatened to decisively respond to any attack that might take place on Iranian soil, according to AP. Well, the group uh, that is responsible for the events that took place that killed three American uh, servicemen and women uh, is one of two primary Iran-backed militant organizations responsible for more than 160 attacks on bases housing U.S. troops. Um, In October, the powerful militant group had threatened to attack U.S. military bases with missiles, special forces, and drones if the U.S. intervened militarily in support of Israel. Reuters reported that these people... Must leave the country, otherwise they will taste the fire of hell in this world before the afterlife, uh, they said at the time. The group said in an October statement, again, according to Reuters In other news, a judge in London threw out a lawsuit Thursday filed by former President Trump which claimed the infamous dossier and its shocking and scandalous claims harmed his reputation. There are no compelling reasons to allow the claim to proceed to trial. Judge Karen Stain said in the the lawsuit filed against Orbis Business Intelligence, a company co-founded by Christopher Steele, the former British spy, who created the dossier in 2016. The dossier was paid for by Democrats and published during Trump's first presidential bid against Hillary Clinton. It contained uncooperated allegations and rumors that spread like wildfire among Trump's critics and throughout mainstream media outlets. The former president, then candidate, repeatedly denied the accusations in the dossier, which included rumors about him engaging in... Acts with Russian prostitutes. He unequivocally said the dossier was fake news and a political witch hunt, then sued to clear his name. The ruling comes as Trump is the front runner for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination and faces other legal woes here in the U.S. In the lawsuit, Trump alleges Orbis violated British data protection laws and sought damages. He also wanted a judge to definitively rule the claims were false. His legal team argued the former president suffered personal and reputational damage and distress because his data protection rights were violated. His lawyer argued the dossier contained shocking and scandalous claims about the personal conduct of the president of um, uh, his case is that this personal data is egregiously inaccurate. Conversely, Orbis said the lawsuit should be thrown out because the dossier would be published by BuzzFeed was never meant to be made public. It was done so without the permission of Steele or Orbis, they claim. They also said Trump's lawsuit was filed too late. The judge seemed to agree, saying Trump had chosen to allow many years to elapse without any attempt to vindicate his reputation in this jurisdiction since he was first made aware of the dossier. She said that the claim for compensation and or damages is bound to fail. Well, Steele Hill previously ran the Russia desk rather for Britain's Secret Intelligence Service, also known as MI6, he was paid by Democrats to compile research into any ties between Trump and Russia. Well, lawmakers on Capitol Hill weighed in on whether President Biden had done all he can do to fix the border crisis, with some saying he'd done next to nothing, while others shifted blame to their fellow members of Congress. Of course not. Senator Cynthia Loomis I uh, told Fox News he's delusional. He's done all he can to keep the border open, to allow millions of illegals across the uh, our border. The Wyoming, uh, Wyoming Republican added there's an invasion and he's permitted and allowed and helped the invasion. But Senator Cory Booker said Congress has a responsibility to step up and give the president tools. When you have Republicans, Republican Senator James Langford getting together with people on the left and saying, here are tools we can agree on. We should get that done. The New Jersey Democrat added Representative uh, James Clyburn of South Carolina. A Democrat said, I have no idea. I'll ask my lawyers. I don't keep up with that kind of foolishness. Hmm. Well, Biden is facing bipartisan criticism over his failure to handle the immigration crisis as record numbers of migrants enter the U.S. through its southern border. And he was leaving the White House Tuesday. The president uh, told reporters he's done all that he can do to secure the border. I've done all I can do. Just give me the power, he says, the chief executive officer. Give me the Border Patrol. Give me the judges. Give me the people who can stop this and make it work right. I'm not sure who those people and what power he's referring to, but there's a dispute in Washington as to what the president um, can do, has failed to do, and should do. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, uh, and Removal Operations officers apprehended 171 unlawfully present non citizens with pending charges or convictions for murder, homicide, or assault against children, officials say. The president acting direct the president's acting director of U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement or ICE. He admitted that a terrorist was allowed to roam freely in the U.S. for nearly a year after crossing into the country illegally at the border. At a briefing on Thursday, he said the terrorist was arrested within 48 hours only after ICE became aware. That's, of course, after one year. And 48 hours he confirmed a report by the daily caller that federal authorities caught a terrorist illegally crossing into the u.s. via the southern border in march of 23 however the terrorist was then released into the u.s. due to a mismatch after his name was run through the terror watch list the unnamed terrorist was a member of al Shabaab and was captured last month in minneapolis according to the outlet. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. More headlines when we return.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. I don't know if you've noticed, but this is an election year. I'm always glad when they are behind us, but they're ahead at this point. Uh, After a robocall targeted New Hampshire residents with a fraudulent phone call from President Biden, experts are warning that voters may be inundated with content generated by artificial intelligence with the potential to interfere in the 2024 primary and presidential elections. You get a phone call, that has got the voice of Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Name the candidate. Sounds like the individual, but it's not. And while threat actors are using AI to overcome existing security measures and make attacks bigger, faster, more covert, researchers are now leveraging AI tools to create new defensive capabilities. But Optiv, vice president of cyber risk strategy and board relations, uh, uh, says that uh, make no mistake, generative A.I. poses a significant threat. He says, I believe the greatest impact could be A.I.'s capacity to disrupt the security of party election offices, volunteers and state election systems. A former FBI veteran noted that a threat actor's uh, goals can include changing vote totals, undermining confidence in electoral outcomes or inciting violence. Even worse, they can now do so on a massive scale. In the end, the threat posed by AI to the American election system is no different than the use of malware or ransomware deployed by nation states and organized crime groups, again, our personal and rather against our personal and corporate networks on a daily basis. The battle to mitigate these threats can and should be fought by both the United States government and by the private sector. Well, to mitigate the threat, he suggests that election officials should have policies to defend against social engineering attacks and staff have to participate in deep fake video training that informs them on attacks, vectors such as um, email, text, um, social media platforms, in-person and telephone-based attempts, and so on. He also stressed that private security companies that create AI tools, including large language chatbots have a responsibility to ensure that chatbots provide accurate information on elections uh, this and future years. To do this, companies have to affirm their AI models are trained to state their limitations to users and redirect them to authoritative sources such as election websites for further information. Just one more thing to think about. Well, where's their smoke? There tends to be asthma, Well, that's the concern among some experts as a recent study from the City University of New York identified a link between cannabis legalization and asthma among kids and teens, whether they're smoking or they're exposed to the smoke. Well, the research published in the journal Preventative Medicine in its February 24 issue, they found that in states where marijuana is legal, the share of teens with asthma is slightly higher than in states where it remains illegal. The recreational use of cannabis is now legalized in 24 states. Well, in this study, a research team from the New York University or City University of New York, CUNY, they call it, uh, the research team at uh, CUNY School of Public Health, they analyzed data pulled from the 2011-2019 National Survey of Children's Health that comprises a representative sample of the population of minor children in the U.S., according to a press release from the university. Well, the sample consisted of 227,000 U.S. children, 17 years old and younger, with the average age about 8.56. Well, in the first nationally representative study of cannabis use and asthma in the U.S., a consistent positive linear relationship was observed between frequent frequency of cannabis use and asthma prevalence among both young and adults, according to the professor and lead author of the study. The relationship wasn't explained by confounding cigarette smoking and even a stronger relationship between the frequency of blunt smoking and asthma was found, he added. In this uh, report, exposure to secondhand smoke has historically been a key factor in childhood asthma, researchers noted. There are currently some 4.5 million children under the age of 18 living with asthma. In the country, according to the Allergy and Asthma Foundation, as was pointed out, there is very little information available on the potential respiratory health risks associated with cannabis use. It took decades for the public to receive information on the impact of cigarette smoking and exposure to secondhand cigarette smoke on respiratory and lung health. He pointed out, well, he recommends people consider that smoking cannabis may have health risks similar to those posed by cigarettes, especially for people with asthma and may be instrumental in developing asthma to those who are at least vulnerable. Also, Alzheimer's disease has been considered something that happens within, um, generally speaking, but for the first time, researchers have identified cases that were triggered by a specific medical treatment. So not just what happens within, but what's triggered. The most common type of dementia, Alzheimer's, is caused by a buildup of amyloid proteins in the brain with risk factors including age, family history, unhealthy lifestyle behaviors, and certain medical conditions. But in a study published in Nature Medicine, researchers from University College London, they linked growth hormone treatments to the development of Alzheimer's. That's according to their press release. The researchers study patients who received a type of human growth hormone that was extracted from the pituitary glands of deceased people, the CHGH, had been shown to lead to greater amounts of amyloid beta protein in the brain, the researchers found. Of eight people studied who were treated with CHGH as children, five developed symptoms of dementia and had already been diagnosed with Alzheimer's or met the criteria of the disease. All of them were between the ages of 35 and 55 when they began experiencing symptoms of cognitive decline. The paper indicated that Genetic uh, testing confirmed that early disease was not inherited. We have found that it is possible for amyloid beta pathology to be transmitted and contribute to the development of Alzheimer's disease, the first author said, a researcher at the Institute of Prion Disease, in their press release. This uh, transmission occurred following treatment with a now-obsolete, and that's uh, important to emphasize, a now-obsolete form of growth hormone, and involved repeated treatments with... um, contaminated materials often over several years. The researchers emphasize that Alzheimer's disease cannot be transmitted from person to person um, contact. There is no suggestion whatsoever that Alzheimer's disease can be tr- uh, transmitted between individuals during activity of daily life or routine medical care. Uh, they pointed out the, pe- the patients that we've described were given a specific and long discontinued medical treatment that involved injecting patients with material now known to have been contaminated with disease related proteins. And that uh, procedure was suspended Uh, In 1985, when it was found to cause uh, another disease in some people. So an an interesting um, report on its impact today, but discontinued procedure from uh, 87. Energy drinks could pose a risk to young brains, according to new research. Those who consumed energy drinks, which... Are intended to boost energy through the use of caffeine or other stimulants were shown to have a higher risk of mental health issues, including attention attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, depression, anxiety and suicidal thoughts. These findings stem from a review by FUSE, the Center for Translational Research in Public Health at uh, Teesside University. And Newcastle University in the UK. In the review published in the journal Public Health, researchers looked at data from 57 studies of over 1.2 million children and young people from more than 21 countries who consumed energy drinks. The researchers conducted this review as a follow up to an initial review from back in 2016. A new House Republican-led bill aimed to crack down on the flow of foreign money to U.S.-based think tanks and charities has begun. Representative uh, Lance Gooden, a Republican out of Texas, uh, told Fox News Digital that he's introducing the Think Tank and Nonprofit Foreign Influence Disclosure Act to increase awareness of where those groups get their cash from and whether foreign governments could be using them to promote views hostile to U.S. interests. We must pull back the curtain on foreign entities that seek to shape U.S. policy and public opinion through covert funding, he said. This legislation is a necessary measure to shed light on the unreported financing behind the research organizations and nonprofits shaping our foreign policy. Well, under his legislation, donates, uh, donations and other contributions to nonprofits made by other governments or political parties have to be publicly disclosed if the value exceeds $50,000. The newly elected chairman of the Michigan Republican Party, whose election is currently being disputed, invested thousands in a company targeted by pro-life activists for taking part in a disposal of fetal remains from abortion clinics. A financial disclosure has revealed, according to the 2017 disclosure filed with the U.S. Office of Government Ethics, former Rep- Representative Pete Hoekstra, Republican out of Michigan, invested as much as $50,000 in this um, Uh Cycle, Inc., one of the nation's leading medical waste disposal companies that serviced abortion clinics like Planned Parenthood. And despite a policy that it does not accept fetuses from clinics as medical waste, They reportedly disposed of such tissue from clinics across North America for years, making it the subject of a number of protests by local pro-life groups, including in 2019 by the group Grand Rapids Right to Life. The group had previously reportedly uh, cut ties with hundreds of abortion centers, reiterating its policies against hauling abortion fetal waste, but continued servicing Planned Parenthood facilities while requiring them to certify no such remains were included in the refuge it transported. So there're big questions to be asked and answered. You're listening to the Georgine Rice show. Quick break. Quick back.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. Just a reminder, coming up in the second hour, a conversation with Robert Peters, Research Fellow for Nuclear Deterrence and Missile Defense at the Heritage Foundation's Center for National Security on the Defense Department's China Military Power Report. That's coming up next hour. Well, the Chicago City Council approved a resolution calling for a permanent ceasefire in Gaza on Wednesday as crime runs rampant throughout the city, including a shooting that left a teenager dead near a high school earlier in the day. The measure was passed by 24-23 vote after the mayor broke the tie. Johnson received a lot of criticism on X, formerly Twitter, later in the night on Wednesday after acknowledging the deadly shooting in a post that read, My heart bleeds with our city tonight after more unspeakable violence against our children today. No family deserves this pain. We must value human life in Chicago and continue our work toward safety, toward respecting humanity and toward healing the scars of our communities. Well, it was a good statement, but many users in the uh, comments response to Johnson's post uh, asked him to focus on the crime within his city instead of wasting time on passing a nonsensical ceasefire in an area he has absolutely no authority over. Today shows how much you care. You and the council wasted time and funds on passing a nonsensical ceasefire overseas that will do nothing while Chicagoans are dying in our streets. One user, Johnny Mayer, wrote, sleep well. I know I couldn't if I were you or uh, those of the, the council wasting time. Another wrote. And it goes on from there. The White House is doing a victory lap on its response to the uh, derailment of the train hauling toxic chemicals in East Palestine, Ohio, last year. As the president prepares to visit the site for the first time, the administration's media blitz Wednesday comes nearly 12 months after the disaster that occurred in early February of last year and sparked fears of widespread contamination of the region's air and water supply. In the aftermath of the event, the federal government led by the Environmental Protection Agency, they took action to clear the derailment site. They removed waste and implemented new rail safety measures. Transportation Secretary Buttigieg told reporters Wednesday, we have been at work here and at the U.S. Department of Transportation throughout this entire process and will continue to do so. Safety is our department's main reason for being. Whether it's aviation safety, roadway safety, or railway safety, it's always our top priority. All of this was at stake and continues to be at stake in the response to what happened one year ago. Well, for many, it's been a year of fear, a year of uncertainty, in a year of change, the EPA Administrator Michael Reagan added, we recognize times have been very challenging. That's why I'm so thankful for the leadership of President Biden, who mobilized this whole of government response to support the people of East Palestine, Ohio, and supported the United States Environmental Protection Agency as we worked hard to hold Norfolk Southern accountable clean up this mess and restore this tight-knit community. Well, the White House also announced that uh, the president would visit the site in East Palestine at some point next month to witness some um, or at at some point next month to witness the ongoing cleanup effort. The White House press secretary said shortly after the incident that the president would visit the site, but those plans never came to fruition last year. When pressed in September about why he hadn't made the visit, the president said he hadn't been able to, you know, find a break in his schedule. A Biden administration push to force cloud companies to disclose when a foreigner uses their platforms to power out of artificial intelligence could be seen as an escalation in the ongoing tech war between China and the U.S. Though experts are split on how effective the strategy will actually be, we need the federal government to take the threat of A.I. seriously, especially when it comes from malicious foreign actors. This is a good step, said one policy director of the American Principles Project. Uh, He's comments come after the U.S. Commerce Secretary announced that her department could soon require U.S. tech companies to disclose every time a non-U.S. entity uses their cloud to train a large language model, according to a report from Bloomberg. Though... um, Uh, she didn't uh, specify um, specifically rather call out any specific uh, firms or countries. The potential move has largely been viewed as a way for us to maintain a leg up on China in AI technology with president Biden saying in October that such disclosures could help detect if foreign actors plan to use AI to launch malicious cyber abled activity. Well, the uh, Romando also hinted at similar efforts aimed at specifically uh Uh, aimed specifically at China last month, saying in an interview that the U.S. wants to shut down every avenue that the Chinese could have to get access to our models or to train their own models. China's uh, push toward AI development has become a top concern for the administration, which has in the past tried to combat Beijing's progress by restricting chip exports to the country and sanctioning some Chinese firms, though the country has continued to make breakthroughs despite the U.S. moves. Well, articles of impeachment against Alejandro Mayorkas are headed to the full House for a vote. House Republicans have taken another step toward impeaching the Homeland Security Secretary for presiding over the nation's ongoing immigration crisis. House Democrats characterized the impeachment effort as a sham and said the articles lack evidence of high crimes or misdemeanors, the constitutional basis for impeachment. The first impeachment article accuses Mayorkas of repeatedly violating the law by allowing the release of migrants who are Awaiting court proceedings, the second article alleges that Mayorkas lied to lawmakers about whether the southern border was secure and obstructed congressional oversight of the department. Meanwhile, Illinois will keep uh, President Trump on the GOP primary ballot. The State Board of Elections ruled on Tuesday that the former president could remain on the state's primary ballot, delivering the former president a key victory and a Democratic stronghold. The eight-member state board, which includes four Republicans and four Democrats, made the decision in a unanimous vote. UPS is planning to cut 12,000 jobs months after reaching a union deal. The United Parcel Service will... uh, Slash 12,000 jobs and workers who survived the massive layoffs will be ordered to return to the office five days a week, the company said on Tuesday. The Atlanta-based firm announced the job cuts are reporting a 31.8% drop in quarterly profits. They come after contentious labor negotiations with the Teamsters nearly stalled the company's business in 23. New York Times uh, reported that UPS narrowly averted a strike in the summer when the union uh, with the union... That represents more than 300,000 of its workers, the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. They threatened to walk off the job if a labor agreement that included higher wages wasn't reached. Rip Curl brand has dropped Soul Surfer to promote a trans surfer. Uh, Bethany, last year, Bethany Hamilton made headlines when she came out against policies allowing biological male surfers to think they're trans women to compete against biological women. In her statement, she threatened to boycott the World Surf League over the policies. Hamilton, who has served since she was eight, grew up in Hawaii and gained worldwide attention after she returned to the report after uh, losing her arm in a shark attack when she was 13 years old. The 2011 movie Soul Surfer is based on her life. Well, Hamilton's stance on transgender athletes caused Rip Curl to sever ties with her last week. Sasha Lowerson, 44, a transgender surfer, was featured on the company's Instagram profile as part of the brand's Meet Local Heroes of Western Australia campaign. Well, several women's sports advocates, including Riley Gaines, sounded off about the company's decision to drop Hamilton and promote Lowerson. Uh, Shortly after, Rip Curl reportedly removed the post about Lowerson. Riley Games pointed out that Rip Curl Curl suddenly knows what a woman is. They've also since deleted all posts promoting a male surfer posing as a woman after dropping Bethany Hamilton. They want you to forget about their uh, contempt for women, but don't, she suggests. In other news, big tech platforms garnered bipartisan anger during the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, testimony this week. And D.A. Fannie Willis fired an employee who questioned her use of federal grant money. Fannie Willis, the Fulton County District Attorney prosecuting former President Trump in the 2020 election subversion case, fired an employee who warned her about misusing federal funds, according to a new leaked audio tape. Willis is facing fresh allegations of abdicating her responsibilities, Uh, After a newly surfaced audio recording revealed a whistleblower privately warned in November of 21 that her top campaign aide was attempting to misuse federal funds. During her top, uh, during her conversation rather, then employee Amanda Timpson uh, told Willis that campaign aide Michael Cuffey intended to use part of the uh, federal grant which was intended to counter local gang activity to pay for unrelated matters such as computers and travel expenses. Willis later apologized to Timpson during their discussion, admitting that um, Kufi had failed her administration. But just 56 days later, the district attorney fired Timpson and had her escorted out of the office by seven armed investigators. Timpson said um, this was a uh, tipping point for her. Meanwhile, a trans collegiate track and field athlete broke two female records. A male sprinter who thinks he's um, who competes as a woman uh, set two women's collegiate records at a recent event. According to multiple reports, the athlete who now goes as Sadie competed for the Rochester Institute of Technology in New York City on Friday. Uh, Shriner says the 200 meter record and, qual- uh, and qualified for the Atlantic Region Champ- Championship with a time of 25.27 seconds and also broke the 300 meter record with a 40.76 second finish. The previous year, Shriner competed in the same event against men where he placed 19th. Riley Gaines, again weighing in, says women's records mean nothing if they're set by men. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show Podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, we're back. Just a reminder, coming up in the second hour of today's program, we'll talk with Robert Peters. He's a research fellow for nuclear deterrence and missile defense at the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for National Security. We'll talk about the Defense Department's just released China Military Power Report, what it tells us and what we might expect. Well, four migrants who were caught and released after allegedly attacking two New York City police officers near Times Square, have reportedly fled to California. The New York Post, citing a law enforcement source, said that the authorities believe that Darwin Andrews uh, Gomez, uh, Kevin Orocho, Wilson Juarez, and uh, Yeoman Rivera have skipped town after the incident. They're not even certain these are their actual names. Police say that that the foursome successfully got on a bus bound for California on Wednesday after giving fake names to a church-affiliated nonprofit group, That helps migrants leave the Big Apple. Well, the uh, group's getaway was successful after the suspects were released without bail following their arrest. Well, in a statement, a spokesperson for the New York um, uh, Court Administration said that they were unaware that the pair, that the foursome rather, uh, where their whereabouts might be. The court is not aware of the defendant's whereabouts, but they are obligated to return to the court on their scheduled dates. We should have a laugh track to fill in there. The four migrants were allegedly involved in in, uh, the caught-on-camera attack on two NYPD officers, just steps from the new Amsterdam Theater, a popular destination among tourists. In the video, the NYPD asked the migrants to move, but a scuffle ensued as the officers were seen trying to subdue a person in a yellow jacket onto the ground. One hooded suspect wearing a backpack can then be seen kicking one of the officers twice in the head, and uh, as he grapples uh, on the ground while another suspect in a red uh, top kicks him in the back, and it goes on from there. They were identified, they were apprehended, but they were released. Apparently there is no accountability, and now they are in the state of California, or at least headed that way. We also learned this afternoon that U.S. officials have confirmed that the uh, plans have been approved for a series of strikes over a number of days against targets, including Iranian personnel and facilities inside Iraq and Syria. The strikes will come in response to drone and rocket attacks targeting U.S. forces in the region, including the drone attack on Sunday that killed three U.S. service members at the Tower 22 base inside Jordan near the Syrian border. Speaking at the Pentagon earlier today, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin told reporters that the U.S. won't tolerate attacks on American soldiers. This is a dangerous moment in the Middle East, he said, noting that Israel's ongoing war against Hamas in the Gaza Strip and attacks by Houthi rebels in Yemen on commercial shipping in the Red Sea were also happening in the region. We will continue to work to avoid a wider conflict in the region, but we will take all necessary actions to defend the United States, our interests and our people. And we will respond when we choose where we choose and how we choose. Again, leaving it quite open for the sake of... Um, not informing those targets when and where. Weather will be a major factor in the timing of the strikes, the U.S. officials said, as the U.S. has the capability to carry out strikes in bad weather, but prefers to have better visibility of selected targets as a safeguard against inadvertently hitting civilians who might stray into the area at the last moment. So there's a bit of reluctance. There have been no new attacks on U.S. troop locations in the region since the Iran-backed militia. Uh, Hezbollah announced Wednesday that it was suspending military operations against American forces. Uh, There was no indication from U.S. officials that the group's declared suspension was uh, delaying the Americans' military retaliatory strikes. We'll continue to follow that story and pray um, as it develops. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives is under fire after reportedly breaking the law to Inflate status and salaries of administrative staffers. According to uh, Senators Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst, ATF improperly and deliberately misclassified thousands of administrative positions as law enforcement for decades, costing taxpayers millions of dollars. The misclassification was brought to the attention of ATF leadership by whistleblowers and was ignored. Joni Ernst points out this um, mis this maladministration resulted in up to twenty million dollars in overpayments to at least ninety one employees who erroneously received enhanced law enforcement salaries and benefits while performing human resources, administrative, and other non law enforcement duties. A new poll uh, provides data discovering the um, the majority of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. That probably shouldn't be much of a surprise, but Bidenomics isn't working well. And now there's proof. Despite records being broken on Wall Street, those on Main Street are living and working for their next paycheck and have little uh, saved for an emergency. Now, that can't all be blamed on Bidenomics, how we manage our funds, but it is a glimpse into how Americans are struggling. In the latest issue, an Insights tip poll released early Wednesday 64% 64% said that they are living paycheck to paycheck these days. Even those with good incomes are struggling, the poll's uh, analysis said. More than half of those with uh, in the wealthiest income bracket, those earning $75,000 or more a year. And those who are um, investors, both at 53% and 51% respectively, another relatively wealthy group, each said that they're um, also having trouble making ends meet on a monthly basis. The analysis said people also don't have much push away for emergencies. Some 24 percent reported zero percent savings and another 20 percent said they had just one thousand dollars set aside. A private gun sale ban uh, in an effort to further infringe on the Second Amendment rights of Americans and to protect those who are The victims of gun violence, the Biden administration plans to soon roll out a new ATF regulation or set of them that would effectively ban private gun sales. As Tristan Levitt, president of the whistleblower organization Empower Oversight, whistleblowers and research argues such an expansive rule that treats all private citizens the same as federal firearms licenses would circumvent the separation of powers in the Constitution, which grants all legislative powers to Congress while requiring that the president take care that the laws are faithfully executed. Well, the new regulations wouldn't merely require a background check for private gun sales. They also would create a new threshold for anyone selling a firearm, effectively requiring them to register as a federally licensed firearms dealer to legally sell a firearm. Of course, the question of what constitutes a firearms dealer is key as it has previously been defined as the selling of firearms for the principal objective of livelihood and profit. Well, that definition of dealer would exclude the vast majority of individuals who have sold a firearm. Well, Levitt, he noted that the White House directed the ATF to create this regulation and that whistleblowers say the rule is being drafted by senior policy counsel Eric Epstein, who worked as the Phoenix Field Office Division Counsel during Operation Wide Receiver a precursor to Operation Fast and Furious. Levitt says that these ATF regulations would so blatantly infringe upon the Second Amendment that he believes the courts would quickly overturn them. Therefore, Biden's likely motive is political, making it a disingenuous gun control issue on which to campaign. Well, I don't see into the soul of a man, but it does raise some serious questions. Well, the Disney lawsuit has been tossed and yet another win for Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis and his war against wokeness. A federal judge on Wednesday threw out Disney's lawsuit against the governor over his decision to eliminate the company's special self-governing district. U.S. District Judge Alan Windsor dismissed the case, noting that Disney had no standing to sue over laws that were constitutionally enacted by the state. Also, an audit of the Reedy Creek Improvement District, released last year, exposed the fact that Disney had massively abused the self-governing status to enrich itself at the expense of the community around it. Governor DeSantis says bested Disney and has proven all the naysayers, particularly uh, on the right, wrong. This is a big win for DeSantis, but especially for Florida. Well, the price of political lawfare, Donald Trump's political action committee spent approximately 50 million dollars in legal fees and investigation related expenses last year. The source of which was donor money that might otherwise have been used in a presumed presidential campaign later this year. That's just part of the price of the lawfare um, strategy, which if continued uh, to uh, use against its political enemies will bone will provide a bone crushing effective strategy to notoriously uh, drain the coffers of one political rival. The New York Times report says that it is a staggering sum. Trump's loaned a remaining rival in the 2024 presidential Republican primary, Nikki Haley, raised roughly the same amount of money across all her uh, committees in the last year as Mr. Trump's political accounts spent paying the bills stemming from his various legal defenses, including lawyers for witnesses. Trump's legal battles are, of course, ongoing on multiple fronts, and they paint a picture of a former president heading toward the Republican nomination – While facing enormous financial strain, which some argue was part of the strategy from its beginning. Well, coming up, we've got news at the top of the hour and we'll uh, uh, talk with Robert Peters, research fellow for nuclear deterrence and missile defense at the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for National Security on the Defense Department's report. uh, China's military power indicating that the threat is, well, worse than advertised. That's coming up in the next hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Stay with us. You're listening
1: to The Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Looking forward to a conversation with Robert Peters. He is the research fellow for nuclear deterrence and missile defense and the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for National Security. We're going to talk about the Defense Department's China Military Power Report and the fact that the threat is worse than advertised. He'll join us uh, in our next segment, so stick around. Well, returning to some of the day's headlines, billionaire Harvard University donor Ken Griffin said on Tuesday that he stopped financially supporting the university, we're talking about Harvard, accusing elite institutions of creating Whiny Snowflakes, that's in quotes, instead of focusing on education. He's the founder of Citadel and um, worth more than $30 billion. He's contributed some $500 million to Harvard in his lifetime. Griffin, who graduated from Harvard in 1989 with a degree in economics, said on Tuesday that he would like to start his donations to his alma mater, Uh, A rather restart, but noted that it depends on whether the university returns to what he sees as its basic mission. In October, the billionaire hedge fund investor CEO Bill Ackman, he called on the school to disclose the name of students who belong to organizations that signed a statement blaming Israel for the October 7th Hamas attack on Israeli citizens. Ackman said that he wants to make sure never to inadvertently hire any of their members. So the difficulties with Harvard... Continues, whiny snowflakes, the alumni call them. President Biden is finally making plans to visit East Palestine, 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 uh, Ohio, for the train derailment anniversary. The president will travel uh, there in uh, uh, in February to mark the one year anniversary of the disastrous train derailment in the town. A White House official confirmed that the president was heavily criticized at the time of the incident for never visiting the community in the weeks and months that followed. The official says Biden will discuss his administration's comprehensive whole-of-government response to ensure railroad safety. Some of their ongoing concerns uh, about the air, the water, and the ground, we're not sure he'll address. Corinne Jean-Pierre struggled to explain why the president has taken so long to visit the, uh, the town in Ohio. Biden has spent um, almost 130 days on vacation since the derailment. The president's Department of Justice successfully prosecuted six peaceful pro-life advocates, Anger erupted online on Tuesday following the Department of Justice successful prosecution of another six pro-life protesters who now face more than a decade behind bars and hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. Following a protest back in 2021, they were accused, uh, they were not accused of any violence, were founded, were found guilty rather in a Tennessee courtroom of conspiracy against rights secured by the FACE Act and committed FACE Act violations. Well, the FACE Act is a Clinton era law that criminalizes the use of force or threats to force, uh, that prevents someone from accessing an abortion clinic. Greg Price weighs in and he points out that a grand total of zero people have ever been arrested for protesting outside the houses of the Supreme Court justice of uh, after Roe was overturned, which is a federal crime. But peaceful pro-lifers now face 11 years in jail for praying outside an abortion clinic. Matt Walsh also weighed in. Pointing out that the U.S. attorney prosecuting the pro-life activists who were just convicted and face 11 years in prison for peacefully protesting outside of a clinic, actually argued in court that there is no such thing as a nonviolent crime. Huh? Meanwhile, the Biden administration is currently in the process of releasing, hun- releasing rather, hundreds of criminals from prison on the basis that their crimes were not violent. Uh, they are making legal arguments totally arbitrarily, depending on the politics of the situation, full on Soviet-style corruption and persecution. I hope, I hope you're praying regularly on your, on your knees, because there's a lot to pray about. Well, the Founding Fathers understood that our strength and unity were found in our commitment to him and to his righteousness. We think America is strong, yet a long train of events reveals weakness on every front And historic levels of division. We assume America will always be. It will not. Under God must become more than a part of our Pledge of Allegiance. In God we trust must be more than our national motto on our currency. America needs God. In fact, there is a national gathering for prayer and repentance. It's going to feature Speaker Johnson and Pastor Jack Hibbs. Family Research Council says in this time of great crisis and in this moment of cultural upheaval in an era of completely divided government, it is incumbent upon us to daily seek God, his wisdom in our affairs. House Speaker Johnson will be a part of this event. To do just that, and CBN reported that Jim Garlow, Dr. Garlow, and Tony Perkins are the co-founders of the prayer Event. Garlow explained that the event is not about man's performance, but glorifying God. The prayers are about repentance for personal sin, for sin in the church, for America's sins. We focus on the vertical—that is, God. We don't applaud for people; we only applaud for God at the end. We don't have speeches or sermons except designated persons to call us to serious repentance. We don't even introduce people, he said. That's the event that's coming up. And again, from the Family Research Council, we pray, God, there is only one hope for this nation. It is not in the White House. It is not in the State House. But it is in your house. If we choose, Pastor Jack Hibbs points out, a national gathering for prayer and repentance event featuring a number of luminaries who will not be introduced. They won't be featured. There won't be lengthy introductions. There'll just be calls for repentance and prayer for the nation. Mark Zuckerberg apologized to the parents of, of social media victims and what seems to be a regular feature of Beltway politics. Lawmakers hauled certain big tech CEOs before a committee There to harumph about the grave damage that their social media products are doing to our nation's children. Pervasively, it is a win-win for the interrogators and the interrogate, interrogatees. The former get their seven minutes with which the, to grandstand and ask great gotcha questions, while the latter get to showcase the allure of their products while promising to do better. One of the key components of this back and forth is big tech's desire to maintain the status quo of section 2.30 protections afforded them by the relatively ancient Telecommunications Act of 1996, whereby they can continue to allow their users to post pretty much anything without fear of a legal risk that the publisher would normally assume. Such was the case yesterday, as the CEOs of Meta, TikTok, X, Snapchat, and um, Discord uh, testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee about the liability and responsibility of the platforms um, what they should bear for hosting content that targets or exploits minor uh, meta's Mark Zuckerberg was the headliner and he didn't do himself any favors by opening with this whopper. The existing body of scientific work has not shown a casual link between using social media and young people having worse mental health outcomes in quote. We'll talk about, well, a prevarication. Zuckerberg went on to endure withering critique from, among others, Republican Senator Ted Cruz, Marsha Blackburn, Josh Hawley. Hawley, in fact, challenged him thusly. So you didn't take any action. You didn't fire anybody. You haven't compensated a single victim. Have you apologized to the victims? Would you like to apologize now? Lo and behold, Zuckerberg, uh, Zuckerberg rather stood up turned and faced the families behind him and apologized, saying, I'm sorry for everything you've been through. No one should have to go through the things that your family suffered. It was quite a moment of contrition for a man who began by denying that his product causes any harm. Well, it's an interesting world we find ourselves in, but we are just ambassadors in it, representing a different kingdom, and I hope you take that role very seriously Um, It is one that uh, I cherish and hope we embrace and follow with gusto. Well, coming up, a conversation with Robert Peters. He's a research fellow for nuclear deterrence and missile defense and the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for National Security. I believe he's been in the Defense Department for almost 20 years. We'll talk about the Defense Department's China military power report. Some good, some bad, but they do point out that the threat is worse than advertised. That's coming up next on the Georgine Rice Show. Stay with us.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show Podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest, Robert Peters, and his co-author, Wilson Beaver, said the Defense Department's latest annual China Military Power Report gets a lot right. It accurately identifies the scope of China's global ambitions and many of the structural changes being implemented by Chinese leader Xi Jinping to make China the preeminent military power in Asia and the Pacific. Even so, they point out, the report appears to undersell the threat posed by China and what will be required from the U.S. to counter it. Well, joining us to talk about all of that is Robert Peters. He's research fellow for nuclear deterrence and missile defense in the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for National Security to talk about the Defense Department's China military um, power report. The threat is worse than advertised. Thank you so much for joining us, Robert.
3: Oh, thanks so much for having me.
2: This is very disconcerting. And one wonders, is this willful and deliberate deception, or is this just laziness on the part of uh, the U.S. Defense Department in understating the the threat or the disparities between what China is doing and what the United States has and is doing? Well, it's
3: hard to say. Uh, The report that the DOD put out in October uh, said that the Chinese defense budget is 230 billion dollars per year, which is which is a pretty sizable chunk of change. But over the summer, uh, Dan Sullivan, senator from Alaska, uh, said that he had information that the Chinese defense budget was closer to 700 billion dollars. Um, other uh, independent analysts, uh, such as those at at the Heritage Foundation, but other think tanks as well, has have pegged the number to be closer to 700 billion dollars as well. So uh, it's really difficult to say why the DOD gave such a lowball estimate for the Chinese defense budget.
2: It's also important, and you point this out in your your, uh, article, uh, it's also important to note that you can get a lot more bang for your buck in China for reasons that we wouldn't want to live with or under that kind of system. But even if the numbers, the original numbers were accurate, it represents far more capacity than we might imagine.
3: So that's exactly right. So the uh, Chinese pay their service members about 25 cents on the dollar to everything that we pay our service members. Um, Our service members are well compensated for very good reason, but pay and compensation such as health care and retirement is the largest bucket within the defense budget within the United States. China doesn't have that problem uh, because they pay their people so little. So they're able to put so much more money into buying ships and missiles and fighter planes. And and I think that's why we see now that the Chinese Navy is the largest on the planet and the, China, the Chinese Air Force is producing so many top of the line fifth generation fighters um, that in many ways it's even worse of the case than it is given their huge defense budget, and that they're able to buy so much more with those dollars.
2: Yeah. Yeah. One would hope it's not a political decision, a calculation that takes into account politics and one's political future uh, in this kind of a report uh, that is supposed to give us some semblance of Information about what the future may look like. Let's talk about, and you write about this, what the Defense Department's latest annual report got right, because they, they do accurately identify the scope of China's ambitions and many of the structural changes. What did they get right in the report? They did get a good amount right.
3: They did talk about how China is the largest threat to the United States in the world today. They talk about the impact of the Chinese economy within the region. They talk about correctly how China is threatening its neighbors, in particular Taiwan, but also the Philippines, Japan, and other nations within the region. Um, and they do get right that China is making significant investments in advanced weaponry, particularly missiles and particularly advanced aircraft. So it's certainly not a whitewash, but it really is a head scratcher um, that that they lowball the defense budget so much. I will say that one thing that's going kind to of underreported is if you read the report, it points out that China has built 100 nuclear weapons within the last year, making China the fastest growing nuclear power on the planet.
2: Again, that's most worrying. You put that uh, next to Iran, who's on the the verge of having nuclear capability. It's It's becoming a much more dangerous world than it was just a short time ago. So what else in the report would you suggest we need to consider more carefully than the Defense Department seems to indicate?
3: What I think the average person should take away is that, you know, a lot of times you hear, well, we don't need to worry because the United States has got uh, a defense budget that's that's larger than Russia and China and, and North Korea and Iran combined. And I I really want the American people to understand that that's not the case. Um, if the de- Chinese defense budget is closer to $700 billion, and with that 700000000000 billion, they're able to buy a lot more than we are within the United States, they should remember that China is able to focus all their military and combat power on the Western Pacific, on an arc that runs from Japan down to Northern Australia. The United States has global ambitions, and I'm sorry, the United States has global responsibilities. And so as a consequence, um, our military forces have to be in the Mediterranean and the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean as well as the Pacific. So as a consequence, China is able to focus all their combat power in one area. And we can only put a fraction against that within the Western Pacific. Um, that's really the big thing that the average American should walk away with is how much the Chinese are able to focus their combat power. And we can only muster a small fraction of what of what we have because of our global responsibilities.
2: Again, that's um, very sobering to consider. So what should we as the American people advocate for? Is there a solution to this? Is it just a matter of, of funding, uh, more military funding? Is it strategy? What should we make of this information moving forward as we consider whether or not we are going to remain a global superpower and whether or not we have the capacity to defend ourselves in the Pacific or, for that matter, everywhere else in the world?
3: What I'd say is we have to field more ships, we have to field more planes, we have to have deeper magazines of precision strike munitions, such as cruise missiles, such as anti-ship missiles. And the reason to do that is not because you want a war with China, but because you don't want to have a war with China. Mm -hmm. Having strong military power is the best way to deter conflict. And so I would say that's what we have to do is actually invest in those systems to prevent war, because as expensive as a military is, it's a heck of a lot cheaper than, than losing a war.
2: Absolutely. In your article, you point out that during the Cold War, and I'm actually quoting, the Defense Department drew on its enormous quantitative and intelligence resources to accurately assess the Soviet defense budget. It should do so now to better understand the actual Chinese defense budget and how it spends its financial resources in comparison to the United States. This seems excellent advice. How likely is it that that's what the Defense Department moving forward is going to do, given conflicting information about China's budget, for example, and what the Europeans are saying they actually are spending and the fact that we're falling behind?
3: Yeah, what I'd say is that the Defense Department has to um, take China seriously as a threat. And and I spent um, 17 years in the Defense Department. There's a lot of great people there, but I sometimes do question whether or not the Defense Department is taking China seriously as a threat. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, your actions have to follow your desires. And so, given that uh, we're not husbanding our our materials, we're not actually developing deep magazines, we're not building ships fast enough, China's outpacing us incredibly in nuclear modernization effort. Um, I hope that the Defense Department takes the threat from China seriously and understands that they are out to supplant the United States um, as a preeminent power in the world. And and I, for one, certainly don't want to live in a world where the Chinese Communist Party uh, are the ones who are calling the shots.
2: Yeah, neither do I. Robert Peters, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it.
3: My pleasure, ma'am. Take care.
2: Again, Robert Peters is a research fellow for nuclear deterrence and missile defense in the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for National Security. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. If you're listening from Seattle have a great night we'll be back here tomorrow in portland we'll continue so stay with us
1: you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq
2: hey welcome back you're listening to the portland only portion of the georgine rice show well engineers with the university of midwest roadside safety facility conducted tests crashes with an electric powered pickup truck and a tesla sedan hurtling toward a guardrail the same type found along tens of thousands of miles of roadway across the country. Well, it turns out U.S. guardrail systems can't handle heavy EVs, according to this preliminary test crashes uh, that they are conducting. Well, the report was released on Wednesday and it concluded that the nation's guardrails were not made to handle vehicles greater than 5000 pounds and EVs. Greater than 5,000 pounds, at least some. The results come as transportation officials have been sounding the alarm over the weight disparity between the new battery-powered vehicles and the lighter gas-powered vehicles. Last year, the National Transportation Safety Board, they expressed concern about the safety risks heavy electric vehicles pose if they collide with lighter vehicles. Road safety officials and organizations say the electric vehicles themselves appear to offer superior protection to their occupants, even if they might prove dangerous to occupants of lighter vehicles. Well, the Rivian truck tested, to, um, tested in Nebraska, for example, showed almost no damage to the cab's interior after slamming into a concrete barrier. The extra weight of electric vehicles comes from their outsized batteries needed to achieve a travel range of about 300 miles per charge. The batteries themselves can weigh almost as much as a small gas-powered car. Electric vehicles typically weigh 20 to 50% more than gas-powered vehicles and have lower centers of gravity. While well, the concern over the EVs weight even extends beyond vehicle-to-vehicle crashes and compatibility with guardrails, that extra weight will affect everything from faster wear on residential streets and driveways to vehicle tires and infrastructure like parking garages. While well, a lot of these parking structures are built to hold vehicles that weigh 2 to 4000 pounds, not Ten thousand pounds. One executive of a nonprofit center for auto safety said, uh, speaking to the Associated Press, what really needs to happen is more collaboration between transportation engineers and vehicle manufacturers, he says. That's where you might see some real change, sort of an interesting perspective on this new introduction and what it means for virtually everything else it touches. Meanwhile, the New York school district socially transitioned a girl without her mother's consent, repeatedly lying to the mother about the child's mental health and social struggles. That's according to a new lawsuit represented by Alliance Defending Freedom. The uh, mother of New York uh, filed a lawsuit on Wednesday against the um, uh, school district and Board of Education, accusing them of violating her constitutional rights through their deception and their social transitioning of her 12-year-old daughter, Jane. The, the Daily Signal first obtained the lawsuit. It was filed in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of New York. The uh, family from New York, um, where this school district is located, is about 22 miles southwest of Syracuse. Parents have the right to direct the upbringing and education of their kids, and that cannot—they cannot fulfill those responsibilities when schools hide information from them and make critical decisions that can have long. Not lifelong consequences to their child. The senior counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom, Kate Anderson, says. So this case is important to ensure that all parents can have the information they need to do what's best for their kids. End quote. Although Michael um, and Jennifer, the parents uh, are both U.S. citizens, the family had spent almost a decade in Greece where the parents were from. And Jane's primary language was Greek. The family decided to leave Greece when its economy collapsed, and they realized that they could not continue raising their children there. But the transition from their closely knit community in Greece to the United States has been disruptive to the entire family. The young uh, 12-year-old, young Jane, first name, had to adapt to a new culture, including learning to... uh, uh, to go through each day speaking primarily English instead of Greek and her father's job required him to frequently travel out of the country. It was a very stressful and difficult season for the family. The complaint states that Jennifer began to be increasingly concerned as her daughter was exhibiting signs of anxiety and depression and occasionally refusing to leave home. The mother repeatedly asked school district employees about whether they had noticed anything troubling her daughter, but she was met with denials and assurances that her daughter was just fine. Well, those repeated reassurances. Concealed the, truth, the complaint states, while school officials kept telling uh, the mom that there was nothing to uh, report, a school counselor was regularly meeting with her daughter and her peers to address ongoing bullying suffered by Jane and other girls in the group. Well, worse than that, the complaint said, the district began treating Jane as though she were a boy, just as it had done with several other girls in her grade. The same counselor instructed school staff to treat uh, the mother... Uh, or rather the daughter as uh, though she were a boy by referring to her with a boy's name uh, and the third person plural pronouns, they and them part of a controversial psychological intervention often called social transition. The complaint states then a school psychologist who told school staff to keep their actions secret from the mother and the father began meeting with Jane regularly without the mother's knowledge or consent. No one told her that the district had made any of these decisions or taken these actions. School staff carefully used Jane's given name and female pronouns when speaking with the mother, and they repeatedly said everything was fine, all the while treating Jane as a boy and sending her resources for medical transition beyond her parents' knowledge or consent, according to the lawsuit. Well, the district employees did not tell uh, the mom about any of this for months, the lawsuit alleges, and Jane's mental condition worsened. She was resisting going to school, becoming increasingly anxious and negative. At one point, and at the daughter's request, the mom even took a job as a bus driver to learn more about what could be causing her daughter's distress, according to the suit. Well, finally, a staff member could no longer stomach the deception and urged the principal to tell the mother. When the principal finally did, she was shocked, the complaint said. She and her husband, Jane's father, met with representatives of the school district. They directed the school district to stop taking any further action without their consent and sought open communication with the teacher to understand what had happened. It continued, but the principal told them school district policy required employees to deceive them and despise, uh, despite, well, both might apply, despite assurances to the contrary, the deception continued, left with no option. They withdrew the daughter from the school district. Well, the lawsuit stresses that she was a fundamental, has a fundamental right to direct the upbringing, education and health care of her child. A right that is inconsistent with the deception, heavy handed and disruptive intervention that the school district perpetrated against she, her daughter and husband. An intervention that gravely interfered with her ability to raise her daughter and contradicted her religious beliefs. Ultimately, parents, not school employees or other government officials ought to decide how to resolve a child's question. About sensitive topics like identity and gender confusion, the complaint says parents like uh, these know their children better than anyone else, and parents, not school employees, will be there for a child in the long run when the consequences of these decisions become fully apparent. Well, there is a national debate right now over this notion that she states as obvious in her uh, in her lawsuit uh, she says that um, it's a fundamental right to direct the upbringing, education and health care of a child, a right that is inconsistent with the deception perpetrated by the school district. She assumes that that is the case and as do most parents. But that is no longer the presumption. And unless you know what the policies are, unless you have some inside information, you cannot be certain that you're being told uh, directly and specifically what the situation is, what's being done and said with and about and to and for. Your youngsters. Very disturbing. All right. We're going to take a break here in just a moment. So stay with us. Uh, When we come back, we'll talk about social media. It erupted over uh, Dem Staffer not being charged for the Capitol Hill sex tape scandal. Saying it was beyond parody. That when we return, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, social media users quickly blasted the justice system after it was announced that a Democratic Senate staffer who filmed a pornographic uh, scene in a Capitol Hill hearing room will not face charges. Wrote one. Let me get this straight. Merely walking through the Capitol unauthorized is a felony. That's a real clear investigation senior writer Mark Hemingway posted on X. But having a public tryst in a building, filming it and putting it online doesn't merit a public lewdness charge. Please tell me why I'm supposed to respect the rule of law in this country, end quote. Well, the U.S. Capitol Police announced on Thursday they have declined to press charges following the filming of a... uh, sex act that was recorded inside the Hart Senate office building on the morning of Wednesday, December 13th after consulting with federal and local prosecutors, as well as doing a comprehensive investigation and review of possible charges. It was determined that despite a likely violation of congressional policy, there is currently no evidence that a crime was committed. The agency said in a statement, the congressional staffer who has since resigned from his job exercised his fifth amendment right to remain silent and refused to talk with us. Well, so, but authority said, our investigators are willing to review new evidence should any come to light. I'm not sure what evidence you need. You have him pictured in the place with somebody else doing the deed. Uh, Is this a nation of laws? One wonders. Well, a staff member for Senator Ben Cardin was uh, eventually fired over the video. Uh, Jacob Chansley spent 310 days in solitary before he took a plea deal. Then his uh, was sentenced to. 41 months in prison for saying a prayer in the Senate chamber. Julie Kelly pointed out it is officially legal to have recorded intimacy in the U.S. Senate hearing room. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton pointed out. Oh, come on. Federalist co-founder Sean Davis posted on X. Beyond Parity, GOP comms uh, consultant a Steve Guest posted on X. Of course, NewsBusters managing editor Curtis Halk posted, "Democrats can do just about anything without consequences." Several legal experts, including George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley, weighed in at a, a time in, of the incident at the time of the incident and said the staffer could be charged, but apparently he will not be. But don't you pray at the Capitol? Just saying. Well, in Portland, the Oregon Supreme Court has ruled against a group of Republican state senators who challenged Measure 113 in court after Secretary of State Yvonne Griffith-Villade invoked the the law to bar them from running for re-election this year. Measure 113, rather. Disqualify state senators and representatives from holding office in the next term if they rack up more than 10 unexcused absences in a single legislative session. The constitutional amendment was intended to curb the increasingly frequent problem of legislative walkouts in Salem and Oregon voters overwhelmingly approved it in 2022. But Senate Republicans quickly defied the measure and staged a record-breaking six-week walkout. During the 2023 session, primarily aimed at blocking a bill to strengthen protections for abortion and gender affirming health care. Well, I even choke on calling it health care, but there you have it. Nine Republicans and one independent hit the limit for unexcused absences by the time the Senate reconvened at the end of the session. Uh, Griffin Valade announced in August that she intended to enforce Measure 113 and disqualify any senators who hit the limit during the walkout. Republicans vowed to continue running for camp- their campaigns for 2024 and pledged to fight the decision in court, including by contesting the meaning of the language of the law. Well, the group argued that the measure's exact wording, 10 or more unexcused, ab- unexcused absences, shall disqualify the member from holding office as a senator or representative for the term following the election after the member's current term of is completed technically meant that disqualification could happen uh should happen in 2028 not 2024 because the 2024 election itself will be held before the end of the senator's current term while well, she argued that the Oregon courts have traditionally held that voter approved ballot measures must be interpreted in a way that is consistent with the intent of the voters and that based on the description in the voters pamphlet and media coverage leading up to the election in 22 Voters would have understood the measure to apply to the immediate next term. Well, the party sought to fast track the case to the Oregon Supreme Court in order to provide clarity before the uh, March 12th deadline for candidates to file to appear in the 2024 ballot. The court agreed to take up the case in October. In a media release Thursday morning, the court announced that it had unanimously upheld Griffin uh, Valade's uh, decision. Uh, the court concluded that the exact wording of the measure was ambiguous enough to support both sides interpretation of the meaning. But Griffin Valade's judgment won out because of the intent of the voters. If we uh, were required to choose between petitioners and the secretary's interpretation based on the text alone, petitioners would have a strong argument that their reading is the better one, the court wrote in its opinion. But we do not review the text in a void. We instead seek to understand how voters would have understood the text in the light of the other materials that accompanied it and those other materials expressly and uniformly informed voters that the amendment would apply to a legislator's uh, immediate next term of office, indicating that the voters so understood and intended that meaning, end quote. Well, Griffin Valade repeated her argument about voter intent in a statement released uh, Thursday morning, acknowledging that ruling. I've said from the beginning my intention was to support the will of the voters, she said. It was clear to me that voters intended for legislators with a certain number of absences in a legislative session to be immediately disqualified from seeking reelection. I'm thankful to the Oregon Supreme Court for providing clarity on how to implement Measure 113. Well, Senate Republican Leader Tim Knope from Bend and Republican Senators Susan Weber and Daniel Bonham, all of whom were among the group that challenged the decision, issued a news release this morning acknowledging the ruling and asserting that the court sided with Democrats. We obviously disagree with the Supreme Court's ruling, but more importantly, we are deeply disturbed by the chilling impact this decision will have to crush dissent, he went on to say. thought I had something here from Oregon Right to Life. Yeah, Lois Anderson, who's the executive director of Oregon Right to Life, expressed her deep disappointment with that court ruling, stating, I am saddened by the court's decision. These senators were elected by their constituents to faithfully serve their districts and protect the rights and lives of their constituents. They fulfilled their duty with unwavering dedication Uh, in a strategic move uh, that surpassed expectations. The senators exercised their First Amendment rights to walk out, Uh, but they will not be uh, on the ballot come November. Well, another historic battle in Concord. One needn't be an historian to appreciate the significance of Concord, Massachusetts. It was at the North Bridge on the morning of April 19th, 1775, that the shot heard round the world was fired and marked the beginning of the Revolutionary War. The skirmish may have lasted only a few seconds, but it forever changed world history. Today, there's another battle brewing in Concord. It's the Battle for America's Heritage. As the Boston Herald reported, Historical signs commemorating the founding of the Massachusetts Bay Colony no longer stand unconquered because officials say they harm indigenous people and didn't reflect the town's people today. The so called, um, tercent, ter- tercentary. Uh, markers had a place in town for nearly a century, but they came down this week after some officials fought for months for them to be removed to create what they say is a more respectful community. On the contrary, a more respectful community is one that respects its past rather than trying to whitewash it. The town's communications manager said the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Commission, as well as the Historical Commission, found the signs problematic and antithetical to the inclusive goals of the town of Concord. That apparently now has no history to which we say the demise of these poisonous and divisive policies can't come soon enough. Chinese hackers are ready to wreak havoc on critical U.S. infrastructure with 50 to 1 cyber personnel advantage. The FBI director warns and GOP lawmakers slammed President Biden's plan to recognize a Palestinian state. Terror groups evacuated their positions after the Biden administration tipped them off to their plans, and a Democrat strategist friendly with China will succeed John Kerry as the U.S. climate envoy. The Department of Defense plans to cover fertility treatments for same-sex and unmarried couples. All right, we are uh, out of time. Hope you'll uh, join us here again tomorrow for Friday's edition, in which we'll take a look at the weekend review and the lighter side of the news, and we'll share this week's Christian outlook. Want to thank James Blend and David King for engineering, D- James for producing, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast.
1: If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook.